Good morning. It is such a pleasure to be able to speak in front of you guys. Um, I am relatively new at this. They tell you never to say that, but I say that because if something goes wrong, you can blame Troy Tisthammer. <laughs> uh, so I am the associate pastor of Snyder Lane Baptist Church, and it's been a pleasure to serve there. How many of you have actually heard of that church? A fair number. I'm, I'm pretty pleased. Because usually when I talk to a crowd, there's about one person who raises their hand. So it was encouraging to be able to do that. I'm very excited to be here today. Um, but first, I want to talk on more of a somber note. I want to talk about a man that you guys are probably very familiar with, and his name is Robin Williams. I, wanted to, I was looking at his biography um, about some of the different things in his life. And in 2006 and 2014, he actually checked himself into a rehab place because of an addiction to alcohol. In the 1980s, he was addicted to alcohol and cocaine. He suffered depression for many years, and a couple years before his death, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, and he ended up sleeping in a different room from his own wife, and eventually he killed himself because he had become so far removed that he didn't want to live life anymore. He was so scared, and he had nowhere to turn. He did not have a community or a fellowship. And I know that in this, an audience this large, there is a bunch of people that are experiencing something similar to that. Loneliness is one of the most prevalent things that people suffer from in America. Loneliness. Not having people close to them. People that they can fellowship with, engage with. People to have intimate relationships. So that is what we are going to be talking about today. Looking at the biblical model, there are four different types of fellowship that I identify. Looking at a quick definition of what is fellowship, um, number one, gathering together. Two, an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. And number three, communion. We just did the beautiful picture of the Lord's Supper. Communion, gathering together and being able to celebrate what the Lord has done together because that is a bond that ties all of us together. Something that is truly unique that even though I don't know any of you guys really, I can say that I love each and one of you. You guys are my brothers, my sisters, and the Lord. I have a kinship bond with you that when I begin to talk to you, I feel like I have known you for many years because we have the most, in com we have the most important thing in common. I have a personal relationship with my Lord and Jesus. And I know that many of you have that as well. And that is something that is truly unique and special. And it ties us together. To my first point, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, which is going to be on the screen behind me. You are welcome to read it in your Bible as well. And it is talking about the crowd, or as I put it in the sermon listening guide, the company of a clan. So Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
the passage naturally breaks into two different sections. The first part of the section talks about them gathering together, and there's four things that they devoted themselves together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to opening the word of God and being able to hear it explained to them. The word was slightly different at that point because being so recent after Jesus, they primarily had the Old Testament. They gathered in synagogues, but they still praised the one same God that we praise today. Number two, they had fellowship together. They gathered together as a community, devoting themselves to the Lord. Number three, the breaking of bread. Because even at that very first time when they were gathering together and beginning to have people become saved, they still had some form of communion, honoring that. And number four, prayer. They came together and they had corporate prayer together, worshiping. And the results of these things were amazing. In verse 43, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So I was speaking more about the benefits to their group. Speaking about the benefits to the other people, in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Because when they came together as a community, they saw something that they didn't see other places. This was the people who had been changed by God. They had interacted with the Savior, and it forever left them changed. They looked at them and said, there's something different about this group. There's something different about them. Later in Acts, when they are preaching before them, um, two of the apostles are speaking together, and they, they arrest them at that point. And when they see the wisdom that they have, and they realize that they were just fishermen, it says, these guys have been with Jesus because they were given amazing wisdom that only comes from the Lord. They're given insight and the power of sharing the gospel. And that is something that we too are able to experience. So I have four applications for today. One of them, most of you have already succeeded in, and that is joining a fellowship. Because in the four faces of fellowship, the first one being the crowd. That is the church, the body of believers. We have the privilege to be able to come together and worship the Lord to be able to sing songs of praise together, to be able to open the word of God and study it. It is a blessing to be open to doing this. It is something that you just, you can't get elsewhere. It takes the loneliness that is inside of you and it dissipates over time. But it is difficult because in a congregation this size, it is inevitable that there are people who do not know other people. At this point, I'm at a slight disadvantage because I know one person's name in this room. But many of you who have been here a long time, it's possible you know 70 or 80%. But it is still a very large family. The benefits are immense, but we cannot stay together in just this. We have to meet in a much smaller community. That brings me to my second point. Looking now at the 12th. Many of you probably don't get this, but one of my favorite shows is called... Um, Shoot, I forgot the name. Never mind. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Starting in verse 9, actually. I'll give you a little bit of context before I read it. Um, Jesus was talking to them. He was speaking to the large crowds as well as the disciples, and he was communicating to them. And he's told these amazing stories about the different planters and stuff. And everybody who was listening, they're like, I get it. I get it. I'm a farmer. This, this stuff all makes sense to me. 
And Jesus looked at them and he just kind of like smiled and he was like, you don't get it at all. Because there are two levels to all of his stories. There was the simple plain meaning and then there was the divine meaning behind it. And the disciples, they realized that they got the plain meaning, but they did not get the more spiritual meaning to that. And we pick that up in verse 10. And when he, meaning Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest this your turn and be forgiven. Such is a very, upon a very interesting thing, um, especially throughout the book of Mark. Um, it talks about the mystery of the gospel, that it was not quite time for him to be revealed, that though he was sharing the saving message, he didn't immediately reveal it to them. And the disciples realized it, and they did something that a lot of other people didn't do. They approached him and they said, Lord, I don't understand. Teach me what these mean. And he says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. But he doesn't really explain what the secret of the kingdom is. So as part of my time in InterVarsity, we did this amazing chapter camp where we spent a week together in a small room studying the Bible, specifically the chapter um, Mark, for nine hours a day. We had candy and soda to sustain us. We had a person who continued like, yelling at us. We do jumping jacks and stuff to stay alive. And it smelled terrible in that room. How to say? Some of the best times of my life. But there's this one time where they just, they paused and they was like, what is the secret of the kingdom? And there's this guy, I will forever remember his name. It was Nick Keglovitz. Because when we were going together, when we thought we knew the king, what the secret of the kingdom was, we went and we told our leader. My leader was actually Troy Testhammer. So Nick went up and he told him, and then he got kicked out of the room. And we're like, well, he must have gotten it right. I was like, this will be super easy, because it took him about 30 seconds to figure it out. 30 minutes later, none of us had still gotten us. There was 10 of us in the room. We were like, what is the secret of the kingdom? What is this? I have no idea. And eventually, they started giving us hints. And finally, we got it. The secret of the kingdom was not something that they told us. The secret of the kingdom was just something so simple. It was asking. These people who didn't know had the boldness to walk up to Jesus and say that said, I don't know, Lord, could you teach me? He says that the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. He explained what the parables meant, and they gained understanding. It wasn't the masses who gained the understanding, though. It was that small group of 12 people that he revealed the most significant theological truths to, because they had a relationship with him that was different. There is a fantastic fellowship with a community this size, but there's also a community that you can't get in that large. So I was looking on your guys' website. I was like, does this church have something like that? And I was like, yes, they do. They have small groups. Not only do you guys have small groups, so I counted the number, you guys have 22 small groups. So if you say you can't attend one, that's probably a lie. Unless you're one of those people who is only free on Monday nights. I happen to notice that there's not a single one then. And I asked somebody, I was like, is there a reason? And they're like, well, nobody's expressed interest. Well, if you are one of those people that could only attend one on Monday night, that is totally fine. Because you, there are 22 people who are trained and can teach you how to lead one. There's more than enough support. That if that is the only night free, this church, I have confidence, can make that happen. That if you desire that same community, 
Jesus had the 12 disciples. You can have a small group where you can come together, open the word. Usually, they're centered around a different theme, traditionally studying the Bible, but they're also unique ones as well. I saw ones for recovery groups. I've looked at other churches, and they had ones dedicated to different interests. There was one that was about dancing, and that one just really appealed to me because I love to dance, although I'm pretty sure my dancing style is different from most of you guys's. But it is a place where you can come together with like-minded people, and the benefit of something so small like that is everybody knows your name. You walk in, and you immediately feel at home. Each of those people will have a prayer list with your name on it, your specific prayers. When you come to that place, they're like, hey, you ask us to pray for this. How is this going? I've been transformed in amazing ways through some of the small groups that I've attended. Absolutely transformed. Some of them were through studying the word, opening it up and being able to read what God had said to me, trying to apply these things in the community. Some of them were just something very simple. There were, there were times where I got slightly bored and I drew on the person's hand who was next to me. And those times were just as meaningful because it wasn't just about studying the word, it was about living life together in this small group. It was a place where I could come and immediately belong. Twelve people. In my, in my circumstance, the best one I ever had was eight people. We just gathered together. We were a community and a fellowship. I was radically changed through that encounter. To give one more illustration, um, relating a little bit to you guys, um, you guys are going through a time of fasting, which I have a great respect for, primarily because it's something I don't do very much. But there was this one time as a youth group, we decided to do 30 days, or 30 hours, sorry, of fasting. And this is fasting from food, and that's a long time, because traditionally I fast about eight hours, and that's about when I go to bed and then wake up. So 30 hours was much longer than that. I was like, man, this is a huge struggle. So, and they had the perfect format. We fasted for about 20 hours, and then we came together in what was called a lockdown. So we got together at about 8 p.m., and we spent the next 10 hours together so that during that hardest time, we had community and we had fellowship. We played games, which was awesome. We fellowshiped. We had songs. We read the word, and we just hung out together. Because it was a shared community that empowered us to do things that we could not necessarily have done on our own. Instead of sitting at home and just feeling sorry for myself because I was hungry, I was able to enjoy life with them. There were times when I was hurt and I needed to turn to somebody and I knew I could turn to any of those 12. But there were certain things, certain hurts that went too deep that I didn't want to share it with 12 people. I didn't want all 12 of those people asking, how is this going in your life? Because there are certain things that they should be a little bit more private. Not secret, but more private. So we're looking at our third section. Talking about the three. Everybody should have a three. And I call it the embrace of a brother. Or the embrace of a sister. Or the embrace of a stooge. So we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone, when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. 
But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I had the amazing picture when reading of this in my mind of my sister's wedding. She got married to the most fantastic guy I had ever introduced to her. The person I used to mentor. But when they were getting married, they had this traditional thing where they had three braided cords that they wove together. And they wove them, and it was supposed to signify the husband and the wife being wrapped firmly around God. But in this, in this thing, it's not technically related to that, but it shows the instance of having three people together, two to three close people, intimate people, that you can turn to in any moment. So I, as an education major, they used to tell us that you, a child needs one person in their life to develop normally, one person who is loving and caring towards them at school, and that it will develop. This is like normal progression. An average person, though, is not happy 100% of the time. Bad things happen to people as well. So if you only have one significant other person in your life, you can be in a lot of trouble if something happens in their life as well. You can come together and you can mourn and share that grief together. But you might get stuck there. You need that third person who is not going through something, who can come together and pray with you, encourage you in the Lord, and say, gosh, that is so rough. But instead of offering advice, they say, let me just pray for you. They'll stay there with you, be able to encourage you and help build you out of that. For the Lord, he had three people as well. Peter, James, and John. And looking at what they shared together, one of the first times that it actually creates a separation is at the transfiguration. Something I just, I, I can't actually comprehend. Because they gathered together on a hill, and the Lord, before he had been crucified and then risen again, shone with his glory, and they saw that he was God at that point. Not only that, two people, two prophets who allegedly had died, came back, Moses and Elijah, and they got to speak to them. How cool would that be? This was the most intimate thing that could happen. Then God spoke from a cloud. These people were terrified. But because they had an intimate relationship with Jesus, because they were part of his intimate circle, he shared things with them that were close to him, that were important with him. We likewise can follow that. And with those people that are close to us, that two to three people, we're able to share the most intimate things with them. So for my life, um, there are a couple different people who fit this. One of them, his name is Miles. And he recently got bumped from like first place to like second place. It's not because of something bad he did, but because he entered a relationship with a person named Jenny. And I understand. I totally understand that he wants to hang out with her over me. Someday when I get a girlfriend, <laughs> I'm going to hang out with her more than the other people. This is a healthy thing. But it is also thankful that I have those other two people that I can turn to instead. That I have that fellowship where I can turn to them. When, when I get really hurt. Um... There was a time where I actually had a terrible rash over my face and most of my body. The Lord was gracious to remove that, but there were some days when I woke up in the morning and I looked in the mirror and I just, I didn't want to leave the house because I was just ashamed by how I looked at that point. And my close friends helped me through that time. There was a different time where I was at work and there was a really difficult customer yelling at me 
And eventually they left the store, and I had a coworker just come up and comfort me. There was another time a really cute girl walked into the Apple store, and I just wanted to tell somebody. So I turned to those three people, and they're like, that's so awesome. Is she a Christian? I was like, oh, no. I'm like, okay, forget about it. I was like, dang it. So they brought, they brought wisdom to me in that time. Whereas other people might have just been like, that's cool. They immediately popped into my mind. And because I didn't just have one when they were suffering, I had multiple people that I could turn to, who could turn to me for comfort. That if I'm struggling with someone, I know that they are a text or a phone call away. That some of them may be busy. If I send a text to all three of them at once, I've timed it. On average, it takes about three minutes to get an encouraging text back saying, I am praying for you in this moment. There is something life-transforming about that, knowing that you have these significant relationships in your life. But these things don't just happen. They were intentional. The people that I have were part of an accountability group with me. We meet every Sunday night. We pray together. We share the dirt in our lives, and we encourage each other. And it's something that you have to invest time in. The best place to start, possibly, in a small group. This is a group of people who already know a lot of things about you. And you intentionally pursue them. You talk to these people and you say, hey, you seem like a pretty cool person. I'm a pretty cool person. We should hang out together more. We should try to develop a deeper, richer relationship. Because I, know, I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes and I need encouragement. And I promise that if you're there for me, I can be there for you as well. So we can pursue deeper relationships with these people. So that if, when we are able to stumble, we will have the others there to help pick us up. Turning to the last section at this time, we're going to be looking at the one. The one is actually a little deceiving, though, because the one is actually two separate ones. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. But looking at Genesis 2, verses 7, and then 18 through 25. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there is not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is a beautiful picture of the way God designed the majority of people to be, to be in an intimate relationship with one other person, with one person who can share everything with, that they can be truly vulnerable But this world is broken and fallen. There's a long period in most people's lives where they don't really have somebody who fits that model. Or the people who have that, 
I've been told by very wise people, getting married doesn't really fix your problems. It creates more. Different problems. There are huge benefits. I'm not trying to slam marriage at all. Marriage is one of the best things I have never experienced, but I hope to experience someday. Because joining together one person with another person becoming one, it is just a beautiful picture. It is something I long to have. But for those people who are experiencing it, man, it's tough. It's really tough. I see my parents sometimes. They were a great model to me. But even they argue sometimes. Some of the be- one of the best couples that I actually know, um, Troy and Jackie Tisthammer, actually. Um, I got to do a counseling session with them. And I was like, let's, just, let's talk about one of your guys' arguments. I won't give details about it. But, but they're like, hmm. And I was like, are you guys trying to think of one? And he was like, no, I'm trying to think of which one. It's like, <laughs> okay. This is like a common struggle that people have. And then there's the people on the other spectrum on the far side. Possibly you have lost that person in your life, that they have passed away. There is hope for all of these people because there is the one who is a spouse, but then there is the one who is God. I was talking to a young woman who I happened to know was single, and I said, what is one thing that single women need to hear at this time? Because I was trying to think, it's like, I can relate to a couple people, I can relate to single men, I know some married people, I don't really know some, that many single women. And she reminded me of the most important thing, and it's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. That this is something truly unique that all of us have. This is not something that is important just for single women. It is important for everybody. Because the most important relationship in all of our lives, the one that truly matters is a relationship with the one God. Because when that relationship is right, it makes it possible to have right relationships with other people. We love because he first loved us. And this is a concept that non-Christians can't really understand. Because they're like, I love this person. I I truly do. And it's like, you don't. Because you cannot understand what love is until you first receive love. That is something that we are able to receive from God. And it transcends all circumstances. The best thing about it is you don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything. And some people are like, man, what is it worth it if we don't have to strive for it? It's like, it's a lot of work. But it is a free gift, first of all. It is something that is given to you not because of what you have done, not because of what you have accomplished, not because of what you will do. God has great plans for you, but that is not why he loves and cares for you. He loves and cares for you simply because you are his. There's a picture on my phone to remind me of who I am, and it's a picture of a crown. I am the son of a king. Men out there, you are the son of a king. Women out there, you are the daughter of a king. That is the most significant title that you can ever be given. In my church, we often say, saints be seated after worship. We are saints because we've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb. It is who we are that cannot be changed. In the Saturday night service, they're talking about lifting holy hands because we have been cleansed. It is most important that we are made in God's image. That is what truly matters. A wise person was talking to me, telling me about relationships, and they said that you shouldn't date until you are content with being alone. It really frustrates me because I really want to enter a relationship. It means I'm not quite there yet because I have not been satisfied by the Lord. I have not found that he is truly the one. 
There were times in my life where I felt extremely depressed. I was like, Lord, I have this burning passion within me. I want to have that significant other. For people that have that significant other, I want more from them. I want more. I feel unsustained, unfulfilled in this. It's like, this, this is not enough. And he says, I know. He's like, no, you don't understand. The world is not enough. He's like, I know. That's be- the world is not enough. That longing that you have inside you that you think is directed towards this, that is for me. That is something that only I can satisfy. Fellowship is great. We need to have it with a large community like this, a family. We need to have it with 12 people, a small group that we're able to come together. We need to have it with three people that are able to embrace us when we need it. But ultimately, the fellowship that we need to get right is the fellowship with God. That's the most important one. It is the one that we should pursue first and foremost. I've read a lot of ministry books, and they say that they always order things because they love to create bullet points. And they say that when you, when you look at your life, you need to order the importance of relationships. And the relationship, number one, is God. Number two is spouse and family, and number three is ministry. And usually people get that reverse. But this applies to you guys as well. Your first foremost relationship to God. Second relationship to your family. Third, to whatever calling, vocation that you have. That is the order that it was supposed to be created in. Looking at the different faces that I have mentioned, it is not something arbitrary. It is something that we see modeled in Jesus. He was the perfect, divine God. But he was also the perfect, divine human, living out life naturally, as we would expect. And he naturally had all four of these different communities. He went to synagogues, and he spoke in them, gathered the people together, and he had a church. He had the group of 12 that he had. He had a small group. And he had the three people, Peter, James, and John. But most of all, he had the one. When life got tough, when there were trials, he would withdraw to a mountain, he would pray because he realized that he had to have that relationship first. So I said that my applications for you were fourfold. Number one, if you do not have a church, this is a great church. I have had the pleasure to meeting people here. This is a place where you can be built up and encouraged. They have small groups that you can join, 22, possibly 23, because you could be that person they're looking for to start that Monday night Bible study. You need to form intimate relationships with a few other people that can be encouraging and build you up because there will be storms. Some of you are already in storms at this point. We must continuously be working towards these things. In regard to prayer, I was like, oh, I pray in the storm. It's like, <laughs> too late. Should have prayed before as well. And that is the way relationships work. We need to build at them before we truly need them so that we always have that firm foundation. Number one, we need to get our relationship with God right. We need to have true fellowship with him. Because when we get that relationship right, we experience true fellowship. It enables us to fellowship with God, with ourselves, and with other people. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the amazing model that you have given us through Jesus the model of him walking on the earth and needing relationships, relationships with other people, large groups of people, small groups of people, and intimate three people that he needed a relationship with, but above all else, relationship with you. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to follow this. You would bring certain people into our lives 
certain people that we are praying for, Lord, that we are seeking, people we can invest in and who will be willing to invest in us, Lord, that we will be, truly be able to be the body of Christ. In your name we ask this, Lord. Amen.